All right. Again, if you're visiting with us, we are delighted to have you with us for the occasion. And uh, baptism will be at the close of this morning's service. John chapter 12. And I'm actually going to read one verse. If you want to hold your finger there, I'm looking, one verse from Mark 14, 9. Really, the title is Mary's Memorial, and it comes from actually this verse in Mark chapter 14, verse 9. I'll read this verse, and then we will pray and go from there. Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Mark 14, verse 9 says, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she, Mary, hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Let me ask you this question, for what will you be remembered? For what will you be remembered? Let's pray together, please. Lord, it is a wonderful story before us. It is a story of sacrifice. It is a story of, of extravagant love. It's a story of love that we all, as your children, as saved ones, as believers in you, should have toward you, even in this world today. Lord, I am nothing. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. And please, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. I am indwelt with spirit because I'm your child. But I ask you to do more than that. I ask you, please, today that I would say nothing amiss that you would fill me. Give me the words to say as I speak. And Lord, I pray that you help us all to have listening ears, be with those teaching downstairs. Thank you, Lord, that your faithfulness is great. Lord, we, we just thank you for that even today. I pray that you just bless our time together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're jotting down notes, there aren't. there is room on the back to jot down notes if you care to do that. First of all, we see the sacrifice of Mary, the sacrifice of Mary, what will you be remembered for? She's remembered for this a memorial throughout entire history, through eternity, pretty much, this memorial she does. I was thinking this week, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev passed away. He was 91 years of age. And, and what will he be remembered for? It depends on who you ask. Because some would vilify him. Some would say, no, he's done a lot to help dissolve. the. He was in charge when the, the USSR dissolved. And so they hate him for that. Putin would certainly say that. But others say, oh, no, he was a great piece. And so it depends on who you ask. I tell you, the most important person we need to ask is Jesus, God. What will we be remembered for in his eyes? When you stand before him, will it be for reward or loss of reward? Or will you stand before him saying, I never received you as personal Savior? And when you say that, you have condemned yourself for eternity without him. The sacrifice of Mary and the setting there in 12 verse 1. Back over to our text. John chapter 12. If you're there still please. John chapter 12 verse 1. It says for us here. Then Jesus six days before the Passover came to Bethany. That was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Where Lazarus which was had been dead. Whom he raised from the dead. Just in chapter 11. The marvelous thing happened that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, John gives us a time factor six days before the Passover. Do you realize that so much of the Gospels are centered around seven days of Jesus' earthly life? Matter of fact, almost half of the Gospel of John is centered around Jesus' life. We call it the Passion Week. And, and Matthew uses 33% of his Gospel, Mark 40%, and Luke 25% are dedicated to just seven days of the Lord's earthly ministry. I'm telling you, it's an important seven days. Matter of fact... It's important for you and I, is it not? Because at the end of those seven days, he is going to be raised from the dead. And because he was raised, we too shall be raised as a believer in Christ. The setting, how about the supper in verse 2? There they made him for him, Jesus, a supper. Now, it's interesting. Why would you have a supper? Could it be possibly because he has just raised their brother from the dead and they're having a celebration at Lazarus being alive again? 
And he's they're at Simon's house, the owner of that of their house in Matthew 26, verse 6 says it was Simon. Interestingly enough, back in Luke, you found Martha, and she was serving a few people. I think about four people. G. Campbell Morgan says that uh, in Luke, she was fixing dinner for about four people, and she was hassled by her work. But here, she's fixing dinner for at least 17 people, and there's no word about her being hassled. Martha has learned from her previous incident to serve out of selfless devotion to Christ. If you love him, we will serve others without complaining. Four people she's complaining, and then after she learns who Christ really is, she serves 17 without a complaint is heard. She realizes serving God is... Matter of fact, the, the songwriter Watts said, We're the whole realm of nature mine. That's a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What God has done for us requires for us really in return all, right, all that we have done. All we do for him, it requires our very utmost. You find not only the setting, the supper, but in three, the spinnakered. You, you want to call it spikenard, you can call it spinnakered, however you want to pronounce it, it's fine with me. Then Mary took a pound of the ointment of spinnakered, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Interestingly enough, in Mark 14, 3, it says she broke the box. Now, when she broke the box of this ointment, it really signals two things. Lots of times, if, if a very important person came to uh, your home, they would maybe perhaps drink out of a glass, and they'd break that glass afterwards to make sure nobody else used that glass because this person's so important. Or the customers also, lots of times I even read they would carry this box around them. The ladies would often hang it around their neck, etc., for their burial. And it was so, it was like the one thing they bought. There was no embalming process, so what they tried to do, to be not be too graphic, but the, the odor of the perfume would outweigh the odor of the body as it decomposed. They tried to bury him the very same day. So this was a marvelous gift. A pound of costly ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiping them with her hair. I remember there was a doctor who humbled himself. He would go into New York City and he would he would find these homeless people and their toenails would be ingrown. And he would go into the restrooms and he would sit down and he would clip their toenails and heal their feet as much as possible because he wanted to diminish. I tell you, I don't like feet, period. Much at all. I, that would take a really an act of amazing humility for me to even touch a, a person's foot, let alone to work on it. And so it's just me. Mary gave of herself. She anointed, now it says Mark and Matthew, she anointed his head also. But she gets down to the feet and she wipes them with her hair. I know how, how important our bodily appearance is to most of us. And uh, now I don't have much hair to wipe with. I guess it turned me upside down as Miss McClure and maybe do the scrubbing bubbles on the back. I don't know. I couldn't do that very well. And I'm sure I would have the humility to do that either. Would you, would you work for 300 days labor? 300 days, men, ladies, $24,000 at $10 an hour, and that's the cost of what she anointed his feet with. 300 days labor of a normal man working. It was quite the price. It was quite the price. This nard, this perfume was extremely expensive. And from what I understand, they would import it from the northern uh, Himalayan mountains in India. The cost of transport was what caused it to be so high in price. Spinnakered, it could also be that it was the spike and the stem, or the spiker stem plus the flower, so it was spikenard. You want to call it that, the spike? That's how they get spinnakered from. And a very lavish gesture. Matter of fact, if you want to give it a descriptor, I would call it extravagant. 
Extravagant is spending too much money, characterized by spending excessively or wastefully. Extravagant can be defined as beyond what is reasonable, ex- uh, exaggerated or unreasonable, unreasonably high in price. Extravagant. Now, we know extravagant is. Uh, for example, I looked up just yesterday the most expensive weddings. I saw that J- Jay-Z and Beyonce's wedding was $8 million. I think it's a little extravagant for a wedding. I found that the most, there's most expensive cars. There are 40 cars in the world over a million dollars. I stopped looking at the one car that was $8 million for a singular car and staying in a motel overnight. I found that the most expensive motel is $150,000 a night. You go into a submarine and you go under the water and you have your own private chef. $150,000 could be a lot better spent, but that's just, and there are motels, the top 10, the lowest was $28,000 a night. So there are that's extravagant. We know what extravagant is. But what that really means is she gave to Jesus everything. Her gift was beyond compare. It was like the very, very, very best that she had. One man said this. He was a, he was a retired army, he was a retired bomb disposal expert in the Air Force. And he said, Sing like no one's listening and love like you've never been hurt and live like it's heaven on earth. In other words, don't hold back. Give God all that you have. Genuine worship never counts the cost. It's not intimidated by the stares or the sneers of carnal minds. It has thought only for Christ. It leaves behind the fragrance none can mistake or avoid. I wonder what fragrance you're leaving behind every day as you walk through your office or your home or your neighborhood. What do they think when you pass by? Well, I'm sure glad he's gone. I can't stand being around him much longer. What do they think? It should not be. If you're a child of God, it should not be said of us. If you're not a Christian, you don't have any, there's no thing you should be doing unless you should be nice, yes. But when you say, I'm a child of God, I'm a, you should be changed. Mary's memorial is that she gave everything to the Savior and washed his feet with her hair. So that's the sacrifice of Mary. There's the selfishness of men starting in verse 4. Look at the speaker. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Now this Simon... Why would he say Simon's son? There's two Judases and the 12 disciples. Simon's son. What is Simon known for? His son is Judas. What is Judas known for? How many people have you ever met? I know there's a rock group called Judas Priest. But how many children named their, how many mothers and dads named their children Judas? Not very many. But why? Because I, have, I know one thing about Benedict Arnold. What do you know about Benedict Arnold? He was a traitor. What do I know about Judas? He was a betrayer. He was a thief. What's it going to be said of you and I when, when our time to part from this life, what's it going to be said? What will we be remembered for? Well, the pastor gave stories about his cats almost every Sunday. I'm not no one yet, but probably coming down the road somewhere. The speaker, the statement in verse 5, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, he could have called her on the carpet for well, letting down her hair. Matter of fact, in that culture, if you let down your hair as a woman, it was a sign of an immoral life. And so he could have called her on her carpet for letting down her hair to wash Jesus' feet. It wasn't that at all. He didn't condemn, condemn her for that. He condemned her for extravagant love. Now, I tell you, I don't mind being condemned for having extravagant love for Jesus. Well, he's just too much and has never been said of me. Perhaps never been said of you. But wouldn't that be something? He's just, he just, he just, he walks with God. I think that probably be the statement I would want. I would say of Pastor Wayne over next door. He walks with God. And that's a pretty tall cotton. 
He walks with God. The statement, the soul. And Homer Kent says, because Jesus and disciples were poor, the act may at first have seemed wasteful to men who had sacrificed their all to Christ. To be extravagant, says Phillips, in giving to Jesus was, in Judas's opinion, a waste. And so much of our minds, so many people this day, they think that money given to the Lord, well, it's just, what, it's just what's the purpose of that? Spend it on yourself. I'm telling you, just the opposite is true. You want some eternal blessings, give it to God. Give it, this, this life is so short in comparison to eternity. Are you sending anything ahead? Jesus put immediate price tag on Mary's gift. It's 300 days wages. 300 days wages. $24,000 at $10 an hour. I'm telling you, that's $24,000 in Jesus' day. Can you imagine the cost of that? Evidently, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were a little bit, uh, had some little bit of resources to deal with. The size of the sum was not lost on Judas. So we see the speaker of the statement, and pun intended, the scumbag. Thus he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he held, had the bag. And bear what was put therein. The basis of this criticism was not a genuine concern. Oh, I really wish we could give it to the poor. Oh my goodness, what a The thing was, he wanted that in the bag here so he could pilfer what he could as much as possible. What is he known for? He's a thief and a betrayer. That's what he's known for. He was, Judas was the custodian of the common purse. And the imperfect tense of the verb means he probably was pilfering during the entire time of Jesus' ministry. He was just a thief. The word there is kleptus. In the Greek, which we get the word thief, we get our word kleptomaniac, if you know what that is. He had somebody always wanting to take something that's not theirs. Judas had been able to, to pull the wool over the eyes of the colleagues. Matter of fact, when he leaves the upper room at the Last Supper, no one says, I knew that was Judas. And they're like, well, Judas couldn't be Judas because he's the one carrying the bag. He's the honest, most honest of us all. What a facade. What a fake wall he had. And I wonder how many this morning across Greenup and Boyd counties and Scioto counties have a fake wall of Christianity. You know the right words to say. You know the right, you're even in church today perhaps across, and, but they truly don't know the Savior. That's what's important to know the Savior for yourself. The sacrifice of Mary, the selfishness of man, and thirdly, the saying of the Master in verse 7. Then said, Jesus, let her alone against the day of my bearing. Has she kept this? It was a memorial. Some would say, well, he was just trying to bail her out by trying to give her a good motive. No. She was going to give his body the only anointing he was going to have before the crucifixion. If you remember correctly, they go in the morning that he's raised to add, and he's already gone. So this is the only anointing of his body for burial. Mary had a spiritual acumen that even the disciples didn't have, I think. That she knew what was going to happen. He said he's going to go to the cross. He said he's going to be buried. He said he was going to be raised. The time is just at hand. It's only a week away. She understood this, I believe. Though this, Homer Kent says, that even though the disciples refused to believe, Mary's mind accepted the fact and realized that when the tragedy came, there would be no time for the usual niceties. And she anointed him. At some point, the preparation, perhaps she had, she had bought this. Remember, her brother has just died. I don't know how many, a few days previously and was raised. Perhaps she had thought, should I anoint Lazarus with this for burying? But she didn't. She, saved, she had bought this, I believe, specifically 
for the Christ to anoint him. Jesus knew why she had it, why she was doing this, the purpose. Then there was the principle in verse 8, for the poor always you have with you, but me ye have not always. As to the disciples, Jesus reminded them that Mary's act was not robbing the poor. There remained abundant opportunities to help with other social issues. By the way, it's good to help with social issues, but what people need more than that is the gospel. This is the answer. It's not any party. It's not any political leader. It is the gospel of Christ. You can feed someone for every day the rest of their lives, but you give them the gospel and you give them a chance for eternity. That's a big difference. Lazarus still passed again. He had to die twice. Up in heaven now. But he had to die twice. He still died. Even after Jesus raised him, all those he Jesus raised eventually still did what? They still died. So Mary Bethany seems to be the only one to have believed the truth regarding the resurrection. Now, you won't find her, Mary of Bethany, at the cross or the tomb. And it wasn't cowardice or despair. Now you will find Mary, the Lord's mother, at the cross. You will find Mary Magdalene at the tomb. You will find Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, at the cross and the tomb. But you will not find Mary of Bethany there. Why, she had no need, for she knew what was going to happen. She had faith. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested. And so, uh, I've had that happen to me right ongoing. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted she knew what's going to happen so the sacrifice of mary the selfishness of men the saying of the master and finally the stirring of malice and look at the response look at the crowd of people much people of the jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for jesus's sake only but that they might see lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead i tell you i'd want to see him i want to see wow he was dead i know he was a good friend of mine and he's back to life i want to hear about heaven can you give me a couple of days of your time and tell me about what was it like to be up in heaven or in abraham's bosom we might say at that point in time He was living the resurrected life. He was a man living day by day, situation by situation, in the power of God, for the power of God had raised him from the dead. A marvelous thing. Until that point in time, Lazarus, now I'm making a little bit of assumption here, was just a, a good believer. Or perhaps he was perhaps not an outstanding witness as he was now. Now Lazarus, after the resurrection, did not say, well, today I'm going to go house to house visitation. That's a good thing to do, but he didn't say that. I'm going to try to win people for Christ. He didn't say those things, although they were good. I'm going to memorize scripture, a wonderful thing. He didn't say that either. He simply lived a life that had been changed by the power of God. The resurrection life. And people, 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 people believed his witness. How many people see Jesus and me and you on a daily basis? Songs writer said, I saw Jesus in you, I saw Jesus in you. What do they see in you? What do they see in me? We should, we should think about these things. Suppose we were to ask Lazarus, Mr. Lazarus, how do you do it? How do you live this powerful Christian life? What's the secret? And he might have said to us, assuming again, I was not always this way. For, for years, I, I was a good, a nominal believer. I loved the Lord. I loved to please Him. I, I loved my sisters. I loved friends. I loved my family. And it was good. And then one day, I died. I died to everybody. I died to everything. I even died to my own testimony for Jesus. 
The old Lazarus was very dead indeed, and everybody knew it. You don't expect dead men to do much of anything. But then, then Jesus came. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes, your life is changed. If you say, Pastor, I received the Lord 500 years ago, but it's never made a difference in your life, you need to check your spiritual birth certificate. I'm not asking you who you trusted 40 years ago. I'm asking you right now. If you stand before God right now, who are you trusting for salvation? Well, pastor, I've done a lot of good works. doesn't work. I'm good looking. That's wonderful. It doesn't work either. I've even got my name in a church. It doesn't work either. I'm asking you, is he your savior? Well, pastor, I'm a pretty good. That's wonderful. I'm glad you're a good person. It doesn't save you. Going to church, you must have a personal relationship with God. You must ask him to forgive you of your sin. And to be your savior. The crowd of people. I was just listening. I listened to the old George Younce, Thanks to Calvary. I'm, anybody know that song? Thanks to Calvary. I'm not living there anymore. And thanks to Calvary. I'm not the same man I was before I got saved. Has he changed? I, I, I know uh, I seem changing one middle-aged man last three weeks. Dynamic change. It stirs the pastor's heart. When people truly get saved. And it makes it, and we see it. I can see it in your life. The chief priest. But verse 12. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Rather, uh, rather they would rather murder than admit they were wrong. If you cannot accept the evidence, then you must get rid of it. That's a popular mantra even in 2022. I like what Mr. Clark says, a commentator. How blind were these men not to perceive that he who had raised Lazarus after he had been dead for four days could raise him again and again and again, though they slay him over and over and over. The same God could raise him up again. It just it doesn't make... Just think what you're doing. The witness of Lazarus' new life was so effective, people came and they went away. And what does the Bible say? Well, it says right here in our text, according to God's word, and... Believed on Jesus. His life was so powerful. What is different about you? What happened to you? Let me just tell you what God did for me. And a personal testimony is irrefutable. I can tell you what God did for me at six years of age, sitting in a pew in Sayersville, Kentucky, in a Methodist church. I heard a chalk artist go through so clearly once again, having been raised in church since I was like two weeks old, three times a Sunday. But that time, it really stuck home that I need to do this. And that, in that pew, I received Christ as my very own personal Lord and Savior. Have I always done? We you know. We, I've been here over 10 years. You know I've not always done what I should do. And I've told you before, no person is perfect. But we are to strive to live more and more from glory and glory to glory. He's changing me. His image and likeness. He wants to create in me and you. If you're still an ornery, unhappy believer after 40 years of being saved, you need to truly get saved. There's nothing worse than a Christian out of fellowship with God. Have you ever been that way? Like, oh, you don't have to shake your heads? Or, yes. It's, it's a miserable place to be. It's when my wife and I, and I've done something because she pretty much is the most wonderful person I've ever met. But sometimes I do things, at, and it, there's that, that little, perhaps a big wall, and I've got to say I'm sorry. I remember it was a church about a year ago. I did something in choir rehearsal and said something so it was very hurtful. And I apologized and I hugged her after the... You have to do that, especially men. We've got to be willing to do that and say we are wrong. (laughs) 
Wrong. I see, I see you can say it. There's nothing wrong with saying you're wrong if you're truly wrong. This man who had been dead is alive. There was a crowd of people. There was a chief priest. And finally, there's a changed purpose. Verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. What will you be remembered for? What a powerful testimony. Lazarus has not only raised, he's been changed. Wow, I want what he's got. He's living in the power of God and enjoying a walk with God. That's what I want for myself. So as we head toward the home stretch, giving our all. Now, that's what sticks in the crawl of many Christians today, is giving. We've been taught in my generation that we are to save every penny and work and work and prepare for retirement and put all these things in and have all your ducks in a row. And sometimes we've forgotten that this is just a temporary place we're living and when I leave, my children get it all, if there's anything left. And so there, there we go. What are you doing for eternity? Now, there's the story called the gift of the Magi. The husband, Tom, has a beautiful watch. And Della, his wife, has this long hair that looks, that loves her beautiful hair. And so she only had $1.87 at Christmas time to buy Jim a present. So she wanted to do something extravagant. So the only way she could make money was sell her gorgeous hair. She sold it for 20 bucks and bought him a beautiful watch chain to put on his beautiful gold watch. He also was dirt poor and wanted to give something extravagant to Della. So he went out and sold his only great possession, his watch, to buy her these beautiful tortoiseshell combs to go in her beautiful long hair. And so he comes home that Christmas with the tortoiseshells for a head-shorn wife. Makes for a great story of sacrificial love. What about us? Are we surrendered as Mary? Does, does your life you live reveal you kneeling before him abs- as your absolute Lord, Savior, God? When Mary came to the feet of Christ, she gave, she gave her all. She had done all she could do. She broke very may possibly, maybe her own, I'm not sure, but she something she prepared and spent bukus of money on for the Christ. And she broke it so there's not one drop left at all. And when you had a funeral, they would break the box and leave it on the body. You got the box and all. And that perfume just permeated the chamber and hopefully was stronger than the smell of decomposition. Can you imagine the disciples as they left that meal? (laughs) Peter, where you been? Wow, you smell good for once. I don't even smell the fish scales. John, James, you've been where Peter was? And I wonder when they get around you tomorrow. Or you're off tomorrow, Tuesday. <laughs> wow, where you been, Tim? Where you been? Watchman Nee said, I'm not supporting all he's ever said, but this from the book, uh, The Normal Christian Life under the, chapel, why, under the Chapter, Why This Waste, he says this, the gospel is to bring each one of us to a true estimate of his worth, Jesus' worth. If Jesus is the pearl of great price and the treasure hidden in the field, then it's not a waste to sell everything you have to buy that pearl or buy that field. Jesus is worthy for you to devote all that you have to him. It was Jim Elliott in 1950s, about 1955, 56. 
He said he's going to go reach, to, to preach to the Alka Indians, unreached tribes in Ecuador. And his Christian parents said, Jim, wouldn't you think your talents would be better? Serve back here at home working among the young people of the United States, and you can read in the shadow of the Almighty his scathing denunciation of the Christian walk in America. The lukewarm American church, what would he say now? And so Jim, Roger Udarian, and three others, in January the 8th, 1956, gave their lives as the Alka Indians came, and they were dropping things down, flying over, dropping things down, and they came down, and they landed on a beach, and they were going to, they thought their first reach out was pretty good, and then the Indians came back and speared all five. Same day. I'm telling you, though, that remains a convincing gauntlet for believers today. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott said those words. John Patton, let it be known that he and his new bride were going to go to the New Hebrides Islands and share the gospel. And he kept saying that in his church and from the autobiography by John's brother, James, an old man and an older man in the church would get up and say, you know what, uh, you're going to be, they're going to be eaten by cannibals. He'd say it over and over. And finally, Mr. Patton said, sir, my dear sir, you're getting up in years and soon you'll be laid in the grave and eaten by worms. If I can but live and die honoring the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And on resurrection day, my body will arise as fair as yours. And he went, and matter of fact, I just read this morning, there were 30 islands, and by the time he left, 25 of them had a church started out of 30. There was a quote I was looking for that no one knew the gospel when he came, and no one did not know it when he left on the island he was on. And Mr. and Mrs. Bill Mills, I don't know them. They served with Wycliffe Bible translators. They went to a tribe translating the New Testament into the tribe's language. And when it first started out, it was, wow. And they would have services. Like the first year, they'd have services. We've learned this verses. And it kept going on. And as the years went on, fewer and fewer of the tribesmen came to the services. And 20 years later, they finally had the ceremony. They had translated the complete New Testament into the tribe's language. And guess how many of the tribal people came after serving there for 20 years, giving them the Bible in their own language? Not nary one. And the wife was so disheartened. And then the husband said to her, quoting, that is the only thing that makes any sense in ministry. What? We do for him. You can get discouraged. Don't give up. It can get disheartening. Don't give up. The world may scorn us and reject our message. Other believers may criticize us and not appreciate what we are doing, but we aren't wasting our lives if we spend them in selfless devotion to Jesus. I was a chiropractor about a month ago, and and a and a Amish Amish family came in. And they had, I think, probably at least five children. And they went to the waiting room, and the father was just playing with the children and laughing with them and hugging them and, and doing all these different things. I said to Stephanie, that's what we need in America. I'm not saying all turn Amish. I'm saying we need to have, we are raising our children in a godly way. Fathers spending time with our children. Mother, we're putting what's truly important. But, Pastor, I want to give my children all the things that I never had. Why don't you give them the things you did have, like godly parents raising you and taking you to church? We forget what's the most important thing. It is eternity. What will you be remembered for? 
just a few moments, we're going to have a young man, middle-aged man. I don't know how old you say you are, Jeremy, but he's going to take his stand. He's on Jesus' side now. And he wants you and you and you, you to know, have you decided for Jesus? If you have not, I'm telling you, most important thing you ever do. Let us pray, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.